Bank Talk features thought leadership interviews with community financial institution executives on relevant banking topics. If you are that CEO or would like to be an executive one day, this is the podcast for you. Learn something new in each episode to improve the performance at your financial institution. And now, here's our host, Charlie Kelly. Hi, and welcome to Bank Talk. I'm Charlie Kelly, your host and partner at Remedy Consulting. Today, we're going to talk cybersecurity. I am personally, I'm not a big cybersecurity person, but it feels like a topic that everybody is concerned about in the industry. So occasionally I like to just have a conversation around cybersecurity and just, you know, sort of what what's the latest, you know, what what threats are out there? What are CIOs worried about in this space? So today we have uh, Rob Fox with FIPCO. Rob is going to join us and just kind of Give his opinion. He he does a lot of consulting inside of companies uh, where they you know they bring them in either for an audit, from an audit purpose or otherwise. Gets to hear a lot of internal stories. So I thought he might be a good person to give us a little bit of opinion on this. What's going on in the space today? So without further ado, let's get to bank talk. Okay, welcome back to bank talk. Today I've got uh, Rob Fox with me from FIPCO. Uh, Rob, thank you for joining me. Uh, pleasure. Rob, we bumped into your team, uh, you know, besides knowing FIPCO for some time, we bumped into an article that you had commented on related to, you know, a culture of cybersecurity. And I thought yep. that you and I might just spend a couple minutes just talking through some things that we don't do a lot on bank talk on cybersecurity, but we know it's important. And, you know, sometimes it's just finding the right person to have the conversation with. So uh, I appreciate you joining me today. Kind of thought we'd I'd throw a couple of questions at you, and we'll we'll see where it takes us. Fantastic. Okay, so I'm going to start with kind of a, a generic question. You know, so what, in your opinion, right, what are the three biggest threats in cybersecurity okay. for, for community financial institutions based on the ones that you've seen? Well, and training of users and having culture of shared ownership are two things that were pointed out in that article by Hannah Flanders at the Wisconsin Bankers. I think it's very important that Users are trained as a first line of defense. They have more eyes than any individual IT or cybersecurity expert would. So if they see something and they report it, then they feel comfortable reporting it, which is part of having that culture in place. I think that uh, that is significantly beneficial. So um, what types of things would you train them in? Like what what are those trainings usually? And so usually you would train them in the basics, you know, how to identify phishing, how to notice if something that's happening on your computer or misbehaving. Most of them have the instinct already just from, you know, years of experience doing their job. But occasionally people are afraid to say something and that's really where the culture comes into place. You know, you can't, as a professional or one of the experts in the area, you can't make people feel dumb about coming to you or bad if they make a mistake because we all do, even the most seasoned professionals. Yeah, it's a great, great perspective. And I, I've got a, a story to share eventually here. We we had a bit of a fishing hit recently, and it was uh, today was an eye opener. It was just interesting. And again, with pretty seasoned folks that are in our operation, I would have thought we all would have been smart enough not to click the button. But I think what happens is, you know, the, some of these fishing 
attacks are disguised so well mm-hmm. that they've done everything they can to get you to click something. And it's more common than you think. And people who you would suspect would be the last ones that would do it are typically the ones. Well, not typically, but they have been caught. Sure. And so what what do you what would you call the number three item outside of the culture and the training? What else do you think is the biggest threat out there? Well, and I would say that that's actually, those two are actually number one. So there's a, a major shift in technology requiring more advanced security controls. I think the three big ones in there are your multi-factor authentication, which you're going to find a strong push from the insurance companies to get in place. They will r- recommend that you have MFA in place for all users on your network. And that is a good control, but I think as a requirement, you should have any and all people logging in with admin rights to require multi-factor authentication. And that's just either the token on your phone or some other out-of-band way to verify you are who you say you are. Next-gen antivirus, I think, is important. I know that signature-based antivirus has been very common for pretty much the history of the profession. I know that attacks are now becoming fileless, which means that a standard antivirus program that just looks for a signature is going to miss a lot of the things that are going to come through. And I think that immutable backups is also very important because eventually you're going to miss something or, you know, it's not when you get hacked or not if you get hacked, but when you get hacked. And I think immutable backups gives you a quick and easy recovery to that. Explain the immutable backups because that is not a term. I'm, and again, not sure. being very close to this this industry. What does that What does that mean in layman's terms? So, an immutable backup. First off, they have the traditional wisdom of a three two one backup. So, you want three copies of your backup in two different places, and one of them completely air gapped from the others. Uh-huh. Uh, an immutable backup means that you have written this backup, and it is not able to be changed in any way, shape, or form which means that it does have some resilience to should your environment get a virus or something else that would affect it or ransomware or anything like that. The thing to be aware of is that immutable backups are a perfect solution because if you back up something with a virus, then that virus is part of that environment. But, you know, if you're maintaining an appropriate schedule, you should be able to go back far enough that you would go to a point before that virus existed in your environment. Yeah, that was my question. And then and that's making the assumption that you can find the virus appropriately in the let's say you let's say you got three backups and you go back mm-hmm. two. That's making the assumption you know exactly where that virus is. Finding the last two, not the first one. And most times that you're gonna get in a situation like this, you'll have some forensic expert that will be able to look back either at logs or look back at the backups itself to find your point of entry and know that you can back up before that point. And once you do, it's real important to know that how it got in there so you can prevent it from coming in once again. And your forensic expert should at least have some understanding of how it got there or or what phishing attack or something along those lines. Yep. And most of those, most times that you're engaging a forensic expert, it's because you have, an, uh, you have an incident and you've engaged insurance and they're helping you and they've provided an expert that will do exactly that. And then the third, third biggest threat in cybersecurity, at least in my opinion, and something that's very frequently overlooked is appropriate vendor management. It is important, especially in a smaller bank that you have vendors that you can trust to come in and do your managed services 
and that is fantastic, but it's also very important that you pay attention to what they're doing in your environment and you're able to either control their access or review their activities. Because the, the threat could be coming externally even though they're your vendor. Uh, even though you're, they're, they're your vendor and they may not have any malicious intent, but vendors get compromised as well. The big one, the big example of this, it has happened since, but the one that everybody knows is the target breach. That was an HVAC vendor who logged onto their network and ended up getting fished. They came in through a vendor because target was too difficult to get to by themselves. They came in just like, just like a user log in to some degree, right? Well, and a vendor brought his own device in, he plugged into their network, he ended up catching something and it ended up getting on onto theirs. Wow. Okay. Going back to the vendor piece, are those just th are those just security controls you put in uh, place to make sure that they're following your protocol or how does that Yep, and a lot of it a lot of it is security controls. So that would be something like some means of monitoring your environment, log management, sims, that kind of thing. And, you know, the vendor will frequently, uh, at least in the scenarios that I deal with, I've usually asked vendors to report their activity, which they have a VPN log when they come in, and I ask them to list a reason behind their VPN connection, and then I match that up to internal log. Oh. Uh, like I said, is either a SIM or something auto-generated, or you can even go so far as to manually pull logs, which I don't recommend. It's very time consuming. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So just various ways you can determine whether or not they're accessing it the way you ask them to, or the way that your security protocol requires. Correct. Okay. Might not follow the vernacular of the, of the security industry, but if you look at internal versus external threats, I'll classify, right, and maybe these are the same thing in your space, but I classify an internal threat being somebody clicked on that phishing email we were talking about versus an external threat being, you know, maybe someone gets access to grandma's login, right, and, and therefore has access to her accounts. Do you know which historically have led to more financial losses or can't you really classify it that way. Is one of those threats worse than the other, I guess, is kind of what I'm asking for? Yeah. So first off, those would both technically constitute external attacks, external to the organization. Losses on personal levels are insignificant, but banks have been dealing with this kind of situation, fraud, loss, and they have operational stop gaps in place. So in, like your tellers, your employees are trained to make inquiries on odd transactions. If grandma comes in and she wants to uh, have a $10,000 cashier's check made out, you know, or $10,000 in cash, there are certain reporting things that go into place, legal reporting things. But beyond that, you know, you're trained to know your customers inside of a bank and they would say, you know, this is kind of an odd transaction, you know, what's going on? And sometimes they'll be like, you know, the customer will be like, hey, you know what, mind your business. And other times they'll be like, well, you know what? My son had some troubles when he went down to Mexico and he was in a car accident and he needs money for medical. That might trigger something in the fraud department or even with the frontline person to say, hey, you know what? Did you try and contact them on their personal cell phone or reach out to another family member to see what's going on? Okay. And, you know, another thing is, is that there's, you know, operational personnel, they review large transactions behind the scenes and you have AML software, anti-money anti laundering. So then what would you consider an internal threat in the vernacular? So, if those two are external, the two yep. that I described, what's an internal threat? 
So internal threats would be your internal bad actors, disgruntled employees. You know, an internal threat is not necessarily malicious either. It could be an employee who clicked the link. So those would be originating from the internal side. But going back to the previous part, those cyber threats that hit the bank, The very important thing that you should do should your institution get hit is report your incidents to your insurance carrier, whether it was something in-house from a vendor or from a vendor of a vendor. It's very important to note that with your cyber insurance, late reporting can jeopardize claims and lead to potential fines and penalties. Okay. Uh, So in engaging uh, the insurances, the vendors that they recommend is also important because they may not necessarily, you know, if you decide you want to go with X forensic group that you've looked up online, well, that may not necessarily be covered by your insurance and that can lead to a financial loss. And some of that is extremely significant. Are you saying that the insurance companies may have their own expertise as well in that area? A lot of insurance companies will have companies that they recommend that you go through. Okay. And they will say, you know, we we work with these people and we cover them. And that will lead to having a lot less loss on the financial side. And if there's any questions that you or any of your customers have about that or any of the listeners have, I recommend reaching out to Jeff Otteson at uh, MBIS. Uh, They're also an associate uh, like myself of the Wisconsin Bakers. Okay. And whether you're a customer or not, he's always happy to talk to people and educate, uh, much like myself, educating, educating our clients is the most important th- most important part of our job. Okay. Is it historically an internal or an external that causes more damage? You know, if you, if you yeah. can lay them up against each other, do you know whether it's internal or external that is the... I would say it's more of those, more of the threats that are coming from the outside. From the outside. Uh, more of the ransomware and all of that, because like we said, you know, there are stopgap measures in place for personal losses from individual accounts. It's when the things hit the institution-wide that it becomes problematic. Yeah, and I would imagine uh, an internal one, uh, the employee's trying to do damage, rather, well, let's just say that, let's say it's malicious and they're trying to do damage, that the damage they're trying to do is probably not going to be nearly as... Uh, bad as somebody trying to either steal it and take it outside or lock it down so that it and and usually there's usually there's methods of catching them but a lot of times they have access to the system so the amount of information they can get is significant but it's a lot easier to if you know this happened track that person down okay yeah that's great okay that makes a lot of sense so you've done audits of various financial institutions what yes. what types of gaps when you walk in? What types of gaps do you typically see between, you know, what you'd consider best practices and what you're walking into? Is so, it those same? Is it those same threats that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, or is it? Is there something else there? Well, surprisingly, the threats that we talked about before are not necessarily what I would see as gaps. A lot of banks. So most banks are required to go through audits annually or. Every 18 months, they go through FDIC, OOC, FFIEC, and other regulators, and they show what's they show them what's lacking. And usually, usually, banks are very good about remediating that. Okay, but I wouldn't actually be able to walk into a bank and immediately identify those. It would be something that would either have to be reviewed from previous audits, or I'd have to do an audit myself. After you're in there. Is there anything that comes out of it after you've after you've kind of gone through and compared what they're supposed to be doing versus what they are doing? 
Is there anything yeah. that ever stands out that way? I mean, you get a lot of people who get the basics down, and you got a lot of people who get the sophisticated stuff down. But the stuff that you usually end up missing is more simple things or things that would not occur to you as being important. Do you have your firewalls reviewed by a third party, not somebody who actually set up and maintains them? There's a lot of controls like that that are just very basic. Just trying to separate the doer from the auditor or the doer from the from mm-hmm. the reviewer. You're saying, yeah, and you know, your admins have access to both your core, your core banking system, and your network. If they do, are there controls in place that prevent them from doing anything suspect? And very frequently, if somebody does have both roles, their access is reviewed by a another individual. So that's okay. usually a good yeah, control sure. for that. Yeah, that makes I mean, sense. So you you really just want that person writing the checks is not the person. That's uh, responsible for reconciling the the ledger, hey, that type of thing, right? Sort and of just make sure you got a dual set of controls. And there are dozens of similar, you know, minor things like that. I find that nowadays a lot of the major things have either been found in audits or exams, and so they're not commonly an issue. Okay, yeah, but they're a good potential for, you know, if somebody was malicious and wanted to do it, that's yeah. a good. That's those are the places they typically find. It happening. We're almost done here, but a couple of quick questions. Let's talk about cybersecurity insurance. You brought it up a couple of times. I guess what I always think is, because I've never really read one of those policies, and I don't know if you have either, but I guess my question would be, as as a bank is thinking about cybersecurity insurance, right? What's not covered or what, you know, what, what, you know, maybe give me just a brief overview of what is covered, but I think I, I understand some of that, but where are the gaps in those types of, of policies that might be a concern or that, you know, you might want to concentrate on in your cybersecurity place? And, and that might change from vendor to vendor. Sure. I am far from an expert on this. When I have, like I said before, when I have cybersecurity question, or cyber insurance questions, I usually go to uh, Jeff at MB- MBIS. But I know that, you know, I do have some statistics on you know, claims and payments and all the rest of that. Yeah, please walk us through whatever Uh, you have. Yeah. Well, financial services accounted for about 20% of the claims in 2022. The average demand for a ransom in 2021 was 1.8 million. Oh, wow. The average payment was just about 318,000. And business email compromise was about 27%. Interesting. Hmm. Yep. Hackers and malware accounted for 59% of claims. And then, you know, the average cost of notification and credit and ID monitoring was 497000 497 was the average cost of notifications and credit and ID monitoring for individuals breached in the financial services sector. So is that per financial institution, 497 That's per breach. Per that breach. is the uh, average cost. Okay, good. Oh, gotcha. Okay. All right. Yeah, uh, forensic, forensic expenses. Her breach was was on average a three hundred and seventy three thousand. Wow! So, so three seventy three to three seventy three to find it, four ninety seven to pay for it. Four ninety seven for customer side remediation. So that's making sure that they can they have credit monitoring services and they're notified that a breach happened. Oh, I see. Okay. Which, by the way, keep those numbers in mind when you're considering whether you want to, you know, spend. A couple thousand dollars a year on next gen antivirus or you know some kind of system for internal monitoring 
we're talking pretty close to you know nine hundred thousand at the moment. Wow! Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Wow. That's a just the most too. Yeah. And then seventy-five percent of claim payouts were spent on crisis services. So again, that's the credit monitoring and forensic expenses. Okay. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Those are great stats. Interesting. Okay. No, I think that's that's very helpful. Like I said, I, it's really interesting just to kind of see the size of the breaches and what actually that's going to cost you because again, some of it to me feels like damage control. Regardless mm-hmm. of whether they got anything, you're 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 awful panic when it happens to you, right? You don't yep, know what they got, but they didn't get how malicious they were intending to be, all those types of things. And and that's why it's important to have a good forensic investigation. Okay. Because they can tell you those things. Tell me the worst violation of a policy or a protocol that you've seen. And again, well, you don't have to call any names out, obviously, but so again, it's the vendors with unmonitored access. The other things would be like not having your disaster recovery, business continuity, and incident response in place. Mm. Vendor management, vendor management. It's one of the hot button topics that of the past five years that's starting to cool down a bit as far as awareness goes, but it hasn't reduced in importance at all. And another with access controls. So there's a lot of small banks out there. And from my experience in a small bank, I was an IT manager in a bank for 10 years. You have a lot of users who take on multiple roles over their careers, and they never get their permissions reviewed or revoked for jobs they don't perform. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. So, so just just capping the access to make sure that they're not they don't have access to things that, that they don't aren't they part don't of the current role. To. Yep. So and then, you know, obviously having that culture. I've seen policies out there that are almost punitive towards should you even make a mistake and accidentally click something. So that's oh. that's not going to encourage the user to come forward and say, Hey, you know what? I saw something suspicious. They're right, right, likely, yeah, because you get your hand slapped every time, that type of thing. Huh? Oh, they're more they're more likely to be like, okay, well, I'm just going to ignore this and hope nothing comes of it, and that's that's not something you ever want, right? Because it that these things don't get tend to get smaller over time. Correct. Right. It tend it tends to go just the opposite way. As the longer you the longer you let it fly, the worse it's going to get for you. Okay, good. No, that's great. I I think that's about all I have. Is there anything we didn't ask you? Anything else that might be that you're seeing in the cybersecurity space these days? No, I think you you hit all the the high points there. I mean, obviously, if there's any questions that you or any of the viewers have, they can feel free to follow up with me. Yeah, like you said, I think that culture culture means a lot, right? The culture and training means a ton because you're it's the group of people that are clicking the buttons every day that are that are gonna. Drive whether or not, or drive a lot of uh, what's actually happening inside. Yep, and you want a lot of management buy-in because if management doesn't back you, you're not going to get anything done. Okay, bro, good. Well, I appreciate you joining us today, Rob. Yep. Do you have a preference for how we would share your info? My name is Rob Fox. I am the Director of InfoSec and IT Audit Services at FIPCO, a subsidiary of the Wisconsin Bankers Association. You can reach me at my email, rfox, F-O-X-X, at FIPCO, F-I-T-C-O, dot com. You can reach me at my direct line, which is 1-800-722-3498, extension 249. Excellent. Okay, so that's it for Bank Talk. I wanted again to thank Rob for joining us today. You know, sometimes, like I said, I don't ever anticipate being a cybersecurity expert, but sometimes I think it's good to just, even in a short podcast, 
do a uh, refresher on the types of things that you and your people should be thinking about as you click that next button. We had gotten hit with a kind of a, a light attack recently, but it's scary when it happens to you and not something that you want to be doing very frequently. And there's there's just so many threats out there that better to be weary, I guess is probably Rob's message here. So that's it for Bank Talk. Have a good day and uh, keep on learning. Thank you for listening to the Bang Talk podcast brought to you by Remedy Consulting. To reach out to Rob Fox, his email is rfoxx at fipco.com, F-I-P-C-O dot com. Thanks again, and we will see you in the next episode.